Manchester City win and AFC Richmond's time in the Premier League is over. When you walk through a storm Hold your head up high And don't be afraid of the dark So look, I... Oh, I'm good. Thank you. Hey, y'all played a heck of a game out there. We may not have won, but y'all definitely succeeded. I mean, you gave the champs 90 minutes of hell. Zero, where you at? That dude had more saves than a Baptist preacher. Give it up for Zero. Yep. That's right, what about Roy? Roy chased down his grandson. <laughs> Stopped him from getting an easy one. Now look, this is a sad moment right here. For all of us. There ain't nothing I can say standing in front of you right now that could take that away. But please, do me this favor, will you? Lift your heads up and look around this locker room. Yeah? Look at everybody else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks. Because I promise you, there is something worse out there than being sad, and that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. Sam, do you remember what animal has the shortest memory? A goldfish. That's right, it was a goldfish. Sam, what do you think we should all do once we get done being sad and or angry about this situation? I think we should all be a goldfish. I agree. Let's be sad now. Let's be sad together. And then we can be a gosh darn goldfish. Onward. Forward. Hey, everybody. Uh, in case you have the memory of a goldfish, my name is Scott Rains, and <laughs> I am one of the pastors here. So great to be worshiping uh, with all of you this morning. If you did not get to worship with us uh, last week, maybe you were still celebrating the holidays, or uh, maybe it was cold and snowy and so you didn't come, or maybe you were uh, not healthy and not able to come. Whatever the case might be, if you didn't hear last week's message, I'd encourage you to go uh, listen to the podcast or go to hopeonline.tv or the Hope YouTube channel, and you can watch Pastor Mike's message. He kicked off the new year and uh, the beginning of a new message series, Five Habits of Highly Effective Christians. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about the habit of uh, gathering weekly for worship, that there's something good and important and powerful that happens when we gather together in the presence of God. Uh, whether we're standing or sitting, whether we're speaking or singing or, or listening, there's something almost mysterious and miraculous that happens when we're in the presence of God, and, and not the least of which is it's a reminder to us how much God loves us. And of course, that reminder of God's love for us doesn't solve all our problems, doesn't fix all of our problems, but it does help us remember we're not alone in the middle of our problems. And that can give us the hope that we need to keep moving forward. That, that clip we watched is from a TV show called Ted Lasso. Uh, he's the coach of an uh, English Premier League soccer club, 
AFC Richmond. They lose their final match of the season, and so they get relegated. They no longer uh, get to be in the Premier League. And so after the game, they're in the locker room. They're disappointed. They're sad. They're angry. They're feeling all sorts of feelings. And Ted Lasso says, you got to feel all those things. And then we got to figure out how do we move forward? Onward and forward, he says. That's the habit we're going to be digging into today as we continue this message series. Effective Christians are always growing, always trying to figure out what does it look like to move forward, to take that next step in terms of growing in my faith. So we'll dig into that today, but before we do, uh, let's pray together. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here and, and to just pause and to recognize that we are here uh, because of your grace. It's your grace that saves us, that forgives us, that gives us new and eternal life. And Lord, I pray that through the course of this uh, time together in worship today, you would help us to trust and to believe that it is your grace that grows us. Yes, there are things that we can do. There are ways that we can position ourselves to, to grow. But ultimately, any growth that happens in our life is, is because of you, the work that you are doing, uh, the gifts that you give us. So uh, may we experience your grace today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our uh, 15-year-old son, Shaden, is a freshman at Des Moines Christian School, and most mornings I'm the one who gets to drive him to school. Uh, that will change. Uh, this summer he uh, turns 16, and he'll get to drive himself uh, to school next year, which will be fantastic, and I'm sure we won't worry about that at all. But anyway, as you uh, might imagine, uh, in a parking lot of a Christian school, there are a lot of personalized license plates that have uh, Bible references, scripture references on them. Anytime I see a personalized license plate with a scripture reference, I think this is a challenge. This is a test to see how well do I know my Bible. And what does the verse actually say that is being referenced on that uh, driver's uh, license plate? And so on Thursday, I was driving uh, Shaden into the drop-off line, and the car in front of me had this license plate, D-E-U-T-667. And I looked at it and I thought, holy cow, Deuteronomy chapter 6 has 67 verses? That's a, that's a long chapter. Then I thought, no, 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 it can't be that. It must be referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. I thought, yeah, it has to be that because I know what that verse is. That's the Shema. Uh, Shema is the Hebrew word for hear or listen. The Shema says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, the Shema, the people of Israel, actually, they turn it into a prayer, and they would pray this three times a day, morning, evening, uh, and noontime. And so in, when Jesus is doing his public ministry in Matthew chapter 22, the teachers of religious law come to him at one point, and they say, uh, Jesus, all the commandments, all the laws uh, we have in the Old Testament, which one's the most important? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus points to the Shema in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. And Jesus says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm dropping Shaden off at Des Moines Christian. And after I dropped him off, I pulled out my Bible app just to check to give myself an ego boost. Like, yes, I got it right. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit I did not get it right. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 is not the Shema. The Shema is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. So I was way off. I was way off. Here's what uh, verses 6 and 7 say. It's on the screen and it's a little long, but let's read this out loud together. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. So at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 6, just to be clear, here's kind of the, the flow here. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with everything you got. So those two verses are all about loving God. And then the next two verses that were referenced on that license plate I saw Thursday, it's all about obeying God, following the commands of God. And so part of what we see here, biblically speaking, there's a connection between loving God and obeying God. We see this connection here in Deuteronomy 6, but that's not the only place. Uh, as Jesus is teaching in John chapter 14 and 15, it's a holy week. It's the week leading up to his crucifixion. So like, what are the most important lessons that Jesus wants to be sure his followers have before his death, before his crucifixion? He actually spends a lot of time that week talking about the connection between loving God and obeying God. Uh, John 14, 15 is an example. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. So this connection between loving God and obeying God, we see it all the way through scripture. It's in Deuteronomy 6, it's in John 14 and 15. And part of the detail that I want you to notice as you look at this, there seems to be an order here that's intentional, purposeful. There, There seems to be a flow here that obedience always follows love. Obedience always follows love. Love comes first, obedience flows out of love. And there's a danger for us as followers of Jesus. We're going to be talking about growing in our faith. One of the dangers, one of the traps that we can fall into when we start talking about growing in our faith, we can disconnect it. We can separate growth. Hopefully you would think that as I grow in my faith, I will become more obedient. I will do better at following the commands of God. But if we sometimes when we focus in on growth, we separate obedience from love, and that's kind of ugly. And that's not very effective for followers of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. At the beginning, Paul says, if I have the kind of faith that I can move mountains, I mean, that's a pretty strong faith, right? If we're going to be talking about growing in our faith, maybe that could be our goal. Let's grow to the point where our faith is so strong, we can move mountains, Paul says, if I have the kind of faith I can move mountains, but I don't love, I gain nothing. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can speak in tongues and I I don't love, it's worthless. If I give everything I have to the poor, if I am martyred for my faith, but I do not love, I have completely missed the point. You cannot separate loving God from obeying God. There's no such thing as obedience that does not flow out of love. And so we're talking about the five habits of highly effective Christians. We're talking today about growing in our faith. I just want to make sure as we focus in on growing in our faith, we keep this connection between loving God and obeying God. I wonder if maybe part of the reason Ted Lasso is so popular is it's it's obvious to see the love between the characters in in this um, series. The characters are not perfect. Um, I'm going to show you three clips over the course of of this sermon. Uh, I think a couple of the clips we had to edit out certain things because they were not keeping the commandments of the Lord. And in in pretty much every episode, there's breaking of commandments in in all sorts of ways. Uh, Ted Lasso, he's coaching soccer in England, even though he's an American football coach, because his wife says, we need some space in the relationship. So he goes all the way across the ocean. Uh, uh, 
Rebecca owns the soccer club because she was given it as part of the settlement when her marriage ended. And all of the characters have things in their life that cause them hurt and pain, things in their life that are challenges and obstacles and struggles that they have to overcome. It's a very real-life kind of show because you and I are not perfect either. That's reality. We don't follow God's laws perfectly. We don't obey God's commands perfectly. And we have a lot of hurt, and we have a lot of pain, and we have a lot of struggles that we need God's help to overcome. So I want you to watch this next clip, and as you watch this clip, just watch for the way, as imperfect as everyone is, watch for the way love is kind of underneath everything that happens. Take a look. knock a doodle do. Ah, oh, good morning, Coach Lasso. Hey, look at us. A couple of worm-addicted early birds, am I right? Oh. Well, I'm glad I caught you. I brought you a little something. Oh. Yeah, cookies. <laughs> or, as y'all call them here, biscuits, right? Though I do not recommend you smother these in gravy. Oh, Ted, I don't, I don't really... Oh, come on, I'll take a look at there. Oh, those do look good. Right? Go ahead, take a nibble. That's it. Away you go. Where did you get these? Well, I'm glad you like them. You know what? I'll start bringing these to you every morning. Call it Biscuits with the Boss. That really isn't necessary. Okay, well, mark this down as the first time we disagree, then. Actually, no, second time. Uh, tea is horrible. Absolute garbage water. I don't know why y'all do that. Anywho, you know, we can't really be, uh, you know, good partners unless we get to know each other, right? Ted. We're going to start simple. Real easy, real easy one. We're going to no. do uh, first concert, best concert. You go ahead and go first. Go, right off the bat. Uh, the Spice Girls and uh, the Spice Girls. Same answer for both? Oh, I love that. My turn. First concert. Well, I mean, come on. It was the gambler himself, Mr. Kenny Rogers. Okay. You got no win to hold him. Ted. Win to hold him. No win to fold him. Win to fold him. Coach no Lasso. No walk away. No win to... Stop. Ted, I'm sorry. Biscuits with the boss is not something that I have time for this morning. Or ever. I hear you, boss. Loud and clear. There we go. Okay. You're going to show up tomorrow with biscuits, aren't you? Oh, come on now. I would not bet on that. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to win a buttload of money. <laughs> High five, tree. Woo! That's Ted Lasso. Uh, yesterday I got to officiate a wedding. And uh, most of the time when I get to officiate a wedding, I like to talk about the, the words for love that the New Testament writers use. There, there's at least four Greek words uh, that they use to talk about love. There's eros love, which is kind of romantic love. Uh, storge is family love, the love that parents have for children. Phileo is the root word for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But uh, maybe it's more accurate to say phileo love is describing love between two really good friends. And then the fourth word, it's the word that gets used most often, is agape love. It shows up in our Bible reading from Ephesians 4. Our Bible reading, one of the ways to think about it, this is the Apostle Paul kind of describing for us the process of growth for Christians, for followers of Jesus. It begins with God. God is love, and one of the loving things that God does for us is God gives us gifts, spiritual gifts. And we use these spiritual gifts for the sake of building up the church, building up uh, the body of Christ. Uh, when we hire people on staff here at Hope Ankeny, a big part of their job description is your job is, uh, of a staff member is to help you, the church, discover your gifts and put those gifts to use. How has God uniquely wired you, uniquely created you uh, to be a part of playing a role in, in the building of uh, the church, the, the body of Christ? 
And so we tell our staff members, your job is to build teams of volunteers who do the work of the church, who do the ministry of the church. I think we have 16 staff members right now. Uh, Since July, we've been keeping track on average how many volunteers are serving every week in the various ministries of this church. It's right about 200 every week, volunteers. 15 staff members, 16 staff members, 200 volunteers. This is a volunteer-led organization. We cannot do what God is calling us to do without all of you. And so thank you for all the ways that you are serving, uh, the different roles that you play. Uh, We're excited about the addition uh, that is almost 100% complete. It's usable, uh, so we're using it for Hope Kids right now. They're meeting in some of those new classrooms, Cafe Hope. We've moved over to the uh, new edition. Uh, Student ministry was using the new edition on Wednesday night. And Uh, eventually we'll be able to use the reservoir, the the big room there, for uh, worship services. And when we're able to do that, we hope to move the 8 o'clock service over there and have a 10 o'clock service over there. So we'll have two worship services in the reservoir, three worship services here. Part of what that means, when we get to that point, we'll need two worship teams every weekend. And so if you have been gifted by God with musical talent, if you're a singer, if you can play an instrument, we're going to need you. Uh, We would love for you to talk with Kyle or with Sean, our worship leaders, about how you can join that worship team. Production support is going to need to increase. We've got twice as many doors that we can greet people at now. So we're going to need more greeters all the time. It's just on and on and on it goes. So be thinking about the ways. Look at how Paul ends this uh, passage. As each part, as you... Do your own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And the Greek word that Paul uses for love there is agape. Agape love. What is agape love? A lot of times when we talk about agape love, we use the the language of uh, unconditional love. That God loves us not because of how perfect we are, not because of how well we follow the commandments. God doesn't like wait until we've grown to a certain level in maturity in our faith, and now God's going to love us since we've reached that level. No, unconditional agape love. God just loves us as we are, right as we are. That's a big part of what agape love is about, but it's even bigger than that. Let, let me see if I can add on some uh, definition to how to think about agape love. There, there is a kind of love that loves something because the thing has worth or the thing has value. So you get a new car, you move into a new house, you might say, I love this new car, I love this new house, or I love this new outfit, or you know, I love my favorite sports team, or Rebecca might say, I love these biscuits that Ted brings me every morning. This is loving something because that thing has, has worth. Agape loves a little different. Agape loves something... And in the act of loving that thing, it adds worth, it adds value to that thing. This is the way God loves us, right? God loves the universe into existence. God loves you and me to life. We have value, we have worth because God first loved us. And of course there are times over the course of our life where we doubt God's love for us. We wonder, everything that's going on, does God really love me? And over and over throughout our life, God is at work reminding us, yes, God loves you and you can trust God's love for you. You can trust God's love for you. Sometimes, sometimes the way God reminds us and helps us trust God's love for us is through the people that God puts in our life. This is what Ted Lasso is doing. Agape love transforms the thing being loved. 
Agape love transforms the thing being loved. So Ted shows up every morning for biscuits with the boss as he's getting to know his, his new boss, Rebecca. And she loves those biscuits, those cookies. She asks him, where do you get these? And he refuses to tell her. She has her assistant, Higgins, go looking all over London trying to find these uh, cookies, these biscuits. She can't, uh, he can't find them anywhere. So she asks Ted, and he, he won't tell her. We find out later in the series, he actually stays up at night baking the cookies, putting them in a box, and bringing them to Rebecca. Why does he do that? It's not because of Eros love. He's not looking for a dating relationship. He does this because he knows it makes Rebecca's day. When he brings her that box of cookies every morning, even though she might pretend like she's not interested in it, he knows it changes things. Just a little bit. It's a small gesture, but it tilts the atmosphere of the relationship. It, it changes things just enough that agape love transforms the thing being loved. It, it, it leads to change. It leads to growth. And this small act of giving, generosity, it starts to change the relationship between Ted and Rebecca, yes, but ultimately uh, across the whole team. And I wonder if this is part of what Paul's trying to describe here in our Bible reading in Ephesians 16. As each part does its own special work, the whole body gets healthy and growing and filled with love. Now, part of what I've noticed in my time in ministry, there are plenty of people who don't think they have a special role to play. They don't have a special part. They don't have anything to offer. They don't have anything to to contribute. And that gets us back to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. The Hebrew word that gets translated strength here is me'od. Me'od shows up over 300 times in the Old Testament. This is one of the few times it gets translated strength. Most of the time it's not translated strength. It's it's an adverb. It shows up in uh, Genesis chapter 1, the account of uh, the creation of the heavens and the earth. Uh, Six days, God's at work creating everything. And at the end of every day, God looks over everything God has made, and God says, it is good. Day one, it is good. Day two, it is good. And on and on and on it goes until you get to day six. Day six, God finishes the work of creation. We're going to move into day seven, the day when God rests from this work of creation. At the end of day six, God looks over everything God has made, and God says, it is me'od good. It is very good. But more than just saying it's very good, it's like this is the very best kind of good. This is the strongest kind of good. And so linguistic scholars, wouldn't you like to be a linguistic scholar? As they're trying to help us understand how, should, how are we supposed to make sense of what is really being uh, written here in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, they say think about it in terms of muchness. Love the Lord your God with all your muchness, which doesn't make any sense in, in English, but think about it. We've been given, we are the recipients of an extraordinary gift, the gift of life. And what do we do in response to this generosity from our generous, giving, loving God? We give in return. We we keep the gift in circulation. We love because God first loved us. Now, a lot of times when we start talking about this idea of muchness, we think in terms of scarcity rather than abundance. We think in terms of lack. I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give. And so the Hebrew scholars, they say, think about it this way. Whatever you've been given, give that. Return that. Keep that in circulation. I know a lot of people these days, man, our gas tanks are just about empty. We don't got much left in the tank. 
We're just in this slog. It's hard. Whatever you have, that's what you can give. It might be able to help think about it this way. Uh, When it comes to love, think of love, biblically speaking, as this continuous dynamic loop. Uh, The the symbol for infinity, the number eight kind of laying down on its side. God loves us, and we love God in return. God loves us, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And there's just this, God loves us, and we keep that love in circulation. Love is an infinite, continuous, dynamic loop. That's, biblically speaking, how love is supposed to work. It's always on the move. It's always going. And it's important for us to think about love coming from an infinite and eternal source because when we do that, then we can say, however much I have, it's enough. With God, it's enough. Think about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. A little bit of fish, a little bit of bread, more than enough to feed everybody who's there. Love comes from this infinite, eternal source. Our job is to receive from God and then just keep that in circulation. There's a woman uh, at Harvard, a a psychologist, Ellen Langer is her name. She's been fascinated her whole life kind of by the connection between our physical bodies and and our mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And she's like, how does that actually work? How does that play out? And so one time she did this study, she had 84 women, and the women have jobs uh, cleaning hotels. And she asked these women, do you exercise regularly? 67% of them said, no, don't exercise regularly. A third of them said, I never exercise. And Ellen Langer thought that's a little weird because when you stop and think about the actual tasks that these women have to perform repeatedly throughout the day to clean hotels, you you realize they're very physically active. And so um, what they ended up doing, they took these 84 women and they ran them through a series of tests to get kind of a, a baseline for their physical health. Then they divided the women into two groups. In the first group, they explained to them how hard they are working, and they showed them videos of cleaning these rooms, and they said, do you know how many calories that you burn when you're doing this activity? They actually figured that out and talked to them about it. They said, here's the Surgeon General's definition for an active lifestyle, and you meet that because you are constantly in physical activity on the job. Half the women, they they told them that information. The other half, they didn't give them any of that information. 30 days later, Ellen Langer and her team came back. They ran them through the same series of of these tests to see how their physical health is doing. And they were amazed that that first group, the group that had been given all that information, all kinds of key indicators of increased health, including their blood pressure dropped 10% in just 30 days. They did not start a a new diet uh, regimen. They didn't start a new exercise program. They did change the way they think. Now, just to be clear, if you had a New Year's resolution of uh, exercising or changing your diet, this is not your pastor saying, yeah, you don't have to do that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is when we talk about growth, all sorts of ways that we can be growing, right? Physically, mentally, spiritually. When we talk about growth, what's going on in our mind plays a real important part of any growth that that we might experience. This is very biblical. Here's how uh, Romans chapter 12 begins. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. So the starting place is always what God has done for us. God's love, God's grace, God's life, God's forgiveness, the hope and joy and peace, everything, everything that God's done for us 
Because of that, offer your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. Five habits of highly effective Christians. Number one was gathering for worship. In, in the biblical world, anytime you talk about sacrifices, you're talking about worship. Maybe once a year you go to the temple and you offer those sacrifices. Maybe every week you go to the synagogue and there's a sacrificial ritualistic worship that happens there. Here's Paul saying, worship is more than a once a week kind of thing. It's important that we do it once a week and it's more than that. That's the starting place. But worship is actually a lifestyle. That every day, every moment of our life is an opportunity for us to love God with all our muchness. To live this lifestyle of worship. Verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So if we want to start this process of growing, always growing, what's the next step for us to take? Here's a baby step for us. What if we stopped thinking, I don't have much to give, I don't have much to offer? What if we started to think, however much I have, that's what I will give? And we just start sprinkling little dashes of muchness everywhere we go. We get up in the morning, and one of the first things on our mind is, where are these opportunities going to be in front of me today to sprinkle little dashes of muchness? I've been eating bagels for probably three decades in my life. In the last 12 months, this new thing showed up in my spice rack. Everything but the bagel. Seasoning. You, you, you toast the bagel. Uh, if you can find cream cheese anywhere in town, which I can't anymore, but if you have cream cheese, you put a little bit of that on your bagel, and then just a dash, just a sprinkle of everything but the bagel, and boom, it's like a flavor explosion. Have you heard of this stuff? It's crazy. Anyway, what if you could imagine living your life starting tomorrow morning you're carrying around with you this little spice container, but the label says love and muchness. Love and muchness. And when you're driving your kids to school, you're just sprinkling a little muchness on as you send them into school. When you uh, send a text to your spouse sometime in the day, sprinkle a little muchness in that text. When you get to work and you're saying hi to your coworkers. How can you sprinkle a little muchness into those conversations? Or uh, when you go to school and you're in the classroom with your uh, friends and classmates, how do you sprinkle a little muchness into those conversations? Maybe it's saying something. Maybe it's not saying the hurtful thing that you're thinking about saying. Just sprinkle a little muchness. That's all Ted Lasso is doing with biscuits with his boss. They talk about silly things like their favorite concert. They maybe talk about uh, some of the business of the day. Real simple, real small, but it changes things. It, it tilts things. So Paul in Ephesians 4, is, here's the process of growth. It starts with God because of everything God has done for us, including giving us these spiritual gifts. Figure out what they are. Use them for the sake of building up the body of Christ so that everyone in our church, everyone in our world, everyone in our family can be healthy and growing and filled with love. In the middle of that kind of process of growing in our faith is verse 15, where Paul writes, we will speak the truth in love. As we grow, as our faith grows, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Most of the time when we see this phrase, speaking the truth in love, I think we immediately jump to this idea of crucial conversations. What are these conversations we've been putting off that we know we need to have and it's going to be uncomfortable and how can I do it in a loving way so I don't hurt anybody? And certainly that's part of what Paul is talking about here. But let's just simplify it for today. How about that? 
Um, speaking the truth in love. Is it true that life is hard? Yes. Is it true that there are plenty of sad things in life? Absolutely. Is it true that more often than not, life feels like we're pushing a boulder uphill? Yeah. But is that the whole truth about life? Is that the whole truth about our existence? Absolutely not. Uh, Whenever I can, I try to avoid going to the part of Ankeny around Delaware and... um, or labor. I mean, it's just a mess there. Who does, are you in the city? We got to redesign this better. It's ridiculous. Anyway, sometimes the Lord wants me to have a cheeseburger from Bebop's and I have to go to this part of town. Uh, I mean, I want to be obedient to the word of the Lord. When I know I'm going to this part of town, sometimes I will uh, intentionally tell myself, Scott, just put a ridiculous grin on your face. Because traffic is slow and you're right next to people and, and I just, and nobody is smiling. If you notice, like nobody, everyone's just right on the edge, right? And I understand it. But you put this ridiculous uh, smile on your face and just stare at the person right next to you for a while. <laughs> Eventually they'll look over and, they'll see, and they're like, do I know you? Hi, I'm not. <laughs> but it just tilts things a little bit, right? It just changes things a, a little bit. And sometimes it is somebody, you know, and that's really kind of fun. Uh, I had to go to this part of town the week before Christmas to get a, a last-minute Christmas gift at Kohl's. And I got into, yeah, I, Lord be with you. I got into Kohl's. I've never seen the lines. It was like 50 people deep at the cash register. I, all, it stretched all the way back to the, the back of the store. And I'm like, I feel so sorry for whoever's running the cash register and the kinds of abuse they must be putting up with from impatient Christmas shoppers. By the time I finally got up there to check out, you know, they, they were in this force field bubble of retail save me, you know, and like I don't want to, and so they're just kind of this routine, did you find everything okay? How are you today? You know, they're not expecting any kind of interaction at all. So when they asked me, how are you today? I'm sure they were expecting me to say fine. I said, this could be the best day of my life. And they were like, shook them out of their retail trance, right? What? And we actually had a human interaction in that moment. That's what I'm talking about. Agape love transforms the thing being loved. Agape love, it gets us to a place where growth is possible. And it doesn't have to be a grand sweeping, it can be a tiny little thing, like figuring out some, I, I actually say this in a lot of different places, at the DMV, Anybody ever have the best day of your life at the DMV? <laughs> Waiting in line at Walgreens. I go in to pick up my son's 15-year-old friends. None of them can drive, and they get in the car, and I just say, this could be the best day of our life, boys, and it just changes things just a little bit. I don't know what it would be for you, but what if, what if you just decided, I'm going to be sprinkling little dashes of muchness wherever I go. I don't know what phrase you might come up with, but let's try this. Let's see, how can we just, just a little bit, Tilt things a little bit. Change the atmosphere relationally just a little bit everywhere we go. And of course, there are other things that we can do. You heard in the announcements in the 360, here's all the classes, here are all the groups, here's all the ways that you can serve, and I hope that you will consider doing that. It's going to help your faith grow. But as we grow in our faith, let's, let's always remember, the start. we cannot disconnect growth and obedience from love. It has to all flow out of love. So one more clip from Ted Lasso. Again, see if you can see the way love is starting to shift things and change things and bring about transformation relationally. Take a look.
Wrong again. Why is it so hard for you, Higgins? What time is it? Yeah. Biscuit with the boss time. Ooh. What? Ed Higgins, hey. <laughs> Three's a crowd. Hey, that's a crowd I don't mind being smack dab in the middle of, buddy. <laughs> hey, boss, check this out. Ow. <laughs> Let's tie up some loose ends from yesterday. First concert, Kenny Rogers, right? Best concert, we got Beastie Boys at Horde Fest, 1995. You're gonna love this story. Actually, did y'all get the OJ trial over here? Ted, please. I can't just have you waltzing in here whenever you wish. What if I soft shoe in, huh? Little something like that, or, or I can moonwalk in, huh? Despite recent headlines, it's still a fun dance move to do. Ted, Ted. Hey, you gotta see the way I see it, okay? Everybody in this building, part of the team, part of AFC Richmond. Team's got a bond, all right? I mean, heck, Higgins and I are having lunch today. Oh, yes, we're having salads in my office. All right, catch you later, boss. Higgins, see you at lunch, huh? Caesar, you later. Ooh, oh. Yes. Yes. He's intolerable. <laughs> <laughs>